So when I was out, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was out in the atrium, I realized a lot of you don't know who I am. I've only ever preached at this campus uh, one time before, so official introduction. My name's Joe, and I get to lead our high school and young adult ministries at all three of our campuses, but uh, I'm, my office is in Norwalk, and I can actually see the Norwalk campus from my house, but please don't tell Pastor Charles this. I think this is my favorite campus to come to. I just love it here. I don't know why there's a, a, a spirit of energy here, and it's incredible, so Thanks, thanks for having me this morning. And uh, I want to give you a little bit of an update about Ukraine before we get started. And uh, these are some notes from Pastor Jay, who is our outreach pastor. And him and the team are actually in Burundi right now. Uh, he's, this, is, this is just an update. It says, all of us are deeply concerned about what's happening in Ukraine. And we're, we're heartbroken by what is happening to the Ukrainian people who are seeking refuge in other countries. So this past week, we were in contact with missionaries who serve with pioneers, and they live in the bottom right corner of Poland near the Ukraine border. So they're offering refugees humanitarian aid uh, and spiritual guidance and transportation. Last week, they took into their home 27 refugees, and that's just that's crazy. Uh, they're from Ukraine, and more are coming. So um, some of our friends there are purchasing uh, whatever they can to help the refugees. Earlier this week, uh, the chapel uh, sent a, a pretty sizable financial gift. And when I say the chapel, I mean you all. It is, we do what we, we're able to do those types of things, not be, be because of what you do, because of your generosity, and, and we thank you so much for that. Uh, those are the things that magnify Christ. Um, and so we sent a, a pretty sizable financial gift to help the, the uh, Pioneers Ministry and the Ukraine refugees. So over the next couple of weeks, the chapel will be looking at further ways to financially assist these refugee or the refugee crisis. Um, so many of you are looking for ways to contribute. So to let you know um, how you can do that, there's two ways that you can give if you would like to give, if you'd like to help out. You can go to the chapel.family and click the Give tab and then just select the crisis fund uh, from the dropdown. Uh, that's available on the app as well as the chapel.family. Or if you want to give cash cards, checks, you can do that in the giving envelope in your worship program that you were handed this morning. And you can just put that in the giving boxes on your way out um, this morning as well, too. And I would just put a note on there that says, um, you know, the refugee crisis in, in Ukraine. So that's just a small update on that. But uh, this morning, we want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And uh, I was... Uh, I was thinking about this. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody you had really you had grown really close to was about to leave you? I don't know if you remember maybe in elementary school, middle school, high school, you had a friend, right? And you were best friends. You loved this person. And maybe their family, you know, the dad found a job somewhere else and they had to move away. And that can be really devastating to, to a young person, right? Or some incredible neighbors that you became close with. And some of you are like, I wish my neighbors would move away. But I'm talking about, you know, the neighbors where you're like, hey, we get along great. We've built a connection together. Our families get along great. I can think of some neighbors that I would be so sad if they moved away. Um, or worse yet, maybe it was someone you really loved and cared about that you knew was going to die soon, and you couldn't imagine life without them. You know, I've, I've told my wife, I was like, if anything happened to you and you were to pass away, they might as well dig two holes because I don't know how I'm going to go on without you. I think about this, uh, my daughter, she just turned 18, uh, so now she's a young adult, so now I have uh, an 18-year-old senior, I've got a junior, and I've got a kindergartner in my house, so y'all can pray for us. Uh, 
But like, she's gonna go off to college, and I'm like, how? Like, you were a t- you were a baby like two weeks ago. What happened? You know, and now she's gonna be leaving our our household, and you know that breaks my heart. I have a friend right now. He's 16 years old, um, young young guy in high school, and he's losing his mom. And it's it's coming soon. And I want to share a text with you that he sent me this week. He says, I really don't know. I don't really know how I'm going to keep going after. It's just overwhelming to think that I'll never be able to talk to my mom again. The number one person I can be myself around and never be judged or just the only parent I have left to be gone. So here's a young man. His dad really hasn't been a part of his life. And now his mom, who he loves so much, who is his best friend, I mean, could be gone within weeks, maybe even days. And this isn't a new problem. This is a human problem. Because Jesus and his disciples, they faced some of these same feelings as well, too. Because here was a group of 12 guys who had spent, um, you know, they'd given up everything they had to follow Jesus. They walked away from their jobs. They walked away from their financial stability. They walked away from their friends, from their family to follow Jesus for three years. And they traveled with him. They saw him perform miracles. They saw him hearing, or they heard him share the truth. They saw him watch love people and seeing him completely upend the religious system in order to show people who God really was. Jesus was not just their fearless leader, he was their closest friend as well. And then Jesus starts telling them things like, hey, I'm going to be betrayed, and that he's going to be taken away, and that ultimately he's going to die. And they, they just didn't get it, right? They didn't understand. They kept asking questions. They kept ignoring it. And here's what I think. I, said, I think they didn't want to get it. They didn't want to face that reality that this person who they were so close to was going to be gone. What could, what could possibly fill that gaping hole in their lives that they were going to feel once Jesus was gone? Well, this led to a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples in John 14. It says this, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. And then he, in John 14, 25 and 27, he goes on, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and, and will remind you of everything I've told you. I am leaving you now with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So Jesus was leaving. And, and what did this mean for his disciples then? And what does it mean for his disciples now, which is us? Well, let's find out. Because this book that we've been studying and teaching about, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, we've been getting a new picture of Jesus, and we're going to learn today how the Holy Spirit fits into this. We've been, this book has, I've, I've challenged so many people to read this book because I've read a lot of incredible books. But this is a book that fundamentally shifted the trajectory of my theology. Like, it changed the way that I saw and related to Jesus. And so if you have a copy, uh, maybe you took a copy because you didn't want to be rude and say no thanks, and you just have a copy sitting at home, I plead with you 
take the time to read this book. It'll change your life. It's incredible. So we've been trying to see Jesus for all that he is, rediscovering that he really loves us, even likes us. But as we read, Jesus wasn't going to be on the earth forever. And thankfully for the disciples and for us, Jesus was not going to leave them or us high and dry. Instead, the second person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, would come to be with us. Now, the Holy Spirit seems uh, like a mystery at times, and yet is critically important for both our personal lives and our lives together as the church. There's a great book called Forgotten God by Francis Chan, and, and it's, I think it's aptly titled because I think, you know, I think about God the Father, I think about Jesus a lot, but I don't really ever communicate with the Holy Spirit that much. But here's how important the Holy Spirit is when it comes to life in the church. Francis Chan says this, let's be honest, if you can combine a charismatic speaker, a talented worship band, some hip and creative events, people will attend your church. But it certainly doesn't mean that people will walk out the doors, move to worship in awe of God. People are more likely to describe the quality of the music or the appeal of the sermon rather than the one who is the reason people gather for church in the first place. He goes on, the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we're just another club. But when believers live in the power of the Holy Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. Holy Spirit, important in our lives and important in the church. And the Spirit's role is extremely important because according to Dane Orland, the author of Gentle and Lowly, he says that the Spirit causes us to actually feel Christ's heart for us. Let's look at how this happened. Again, in John 14, 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. And in John 14, 26, But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. So the, the Greek word here for advocate is paraclete, all right? And you're like, isn't that a bird? That's a parakeet. Stay with me. <clears throat> so if you didn't laugh at that, you're going to laugh on your way home when you get it, okay? Uh, so paraclete is the word for advocate, someone who comes alongside. This is also sometimes used as a legal term, almost like a legal representative like an advocate or a lawyer, somebody, an attorney, somebody who stands on your behalf. This means that the Holy Spirit is God who comes alongside, impressing upon us the love of Christ as we journey through this life. And here's a few ways of how Jesus says the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us in John 14. It says the Holy Spirit guides us to experience God's truth. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. I'll never forget when I started studying the Bible for the first time, all right? It was literally this Bible right here, all right, 13 years ago, about 13 and a half years ago, and obviously it's pretty beat up since then, but I went out to the rocks on, and, and Nickel Plate Beach because I was about to meet with a mentor for the first time, and I literally had no idea how to read this book, so I'm looking up at the sky, I'm like, okay, God, I don't know where to start, I'm just going to open this book and I'm going to read it, and I started reading it, and it was one of the most convicting moments of my entire life because at that time... Um, a lot of you know my story, some of you don't, but I had a previous marriage, and my wife and I were estranged at the time, and it was all my fault completely. But I felt like I, it was reading, I opened it up to Romans, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 7, and it talks about, hey, if you're married, do not seek a divorce. And I was like, what in the world? Like, it was the most supernatural experience ever, and I felt like the Holy Spirit led me to that, right? But as I, as I continued to read God's word, there was not, a, I, I didn't understand a lot of it at first. Uh, there's names, places, words, and concepts that were far beyond me. And, but as I kept reading it on my own, 
and I kept learning about it from others, I realized that it answered a lot of the questions that I'd always wondered about. Like, why am I here? What is the purpose of my life, right? Why does my life even matter? Why is the world so messed up? Why am I so messed up? Who's going to fix this world and who's going to fix me? And the more I read scripture, the more that I discovered this framework that allowed me to see clearly for the first time in my life. And it's not because I'm smart, because I'm not. I barely graduated high school. I had to stay after school my junior year to clean our school's greenhouse so I could get enough extra credit to get a D minus in 10th grade biology so I wouldn't have to take it for the third time. When, some people take a gap year after high school. I took a gap decade. When I decided to go to Bible college at 29, my parents had to go get my transcripts from the school, and the secretary said, I'm surprised he's getting into college with these. It was bad, all right? But, but, but God's spirit has opened my mind. God, the spirit's role is to illuminate the truth of scripture so that it both leads us to a deep understanding of who God is and who we are. It says the Holy Spirit also helps us to discover true peace. John 14, 27, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. So when I think about peace, this is the image that comes to my mind, all right? Sitting out on my back patio with my family, fresh cut on the lawn, right, guys? It's looking crisp. Got a club soda and maybe a s'more in the other hand, and it's just like everything is right with the world, right? And after this weekend, man, doesn't that sound nice? Wouldn't you just want to do that? Not in my house, your house. Uh, get your own patio. But like, man, I'm like, man, that is peace right there. But how often does that honestly happen? And I don't know what your vision of peace is, but I would say I do not experience peace most of my life. I think more of it is chaos. <clears throat> and while that idea is peaceful, that's not the kind of peace Jesus promises here. Because a lot of you would say, you know what, I am not experiencing any peace like that right now. Jesus is talking about having a settled confidence in your soul when everything around you is falling apart. Sheila Walsh tells us how to have it. She says, peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Christ. In these past two years, there's not much, there's, there hasn't been much absence of trouble. There has been an abundance of trouble. And so are you, are you finding peace looking to fix all of the problems, or are you finding peace in Christ? Peace isn't the absence of pain. Rather, it's a confident feeling that we will be okay no matter what happens. And I wrestled with this, even saying this, because, man, that is so much easier said than done, right? Because you might be in here this morning, and you're like, you have no idea what I'm going through, and I don't. you would be like, I do not have peace right now, and I... I I can understand how difficult that, that would be. It says, the Spirit meets us, <clears throat> excuse me, right where we are and intends to personally guide us through pain, our pain and suffering, through the promise of his presence, which results in peace. See, Jesus doesn't promise to take all of the trouble away. He said in John 10, hey, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus promises that there's going to be problems. And so the Christian life is not all of those problems being gone. The Christian life is knowing that Jesus is with us. And then in the end, everything's going to be okay. It says that the Holy Spirit promises to always be there for us. John 14, 16, I want to read this again, but pay attention 
to the end of it. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. You know, we live in a time where we're more connected than ever. Uh, you know, in the matter of seconds, you know, you can send a text, an email, um, jump on social media and interact with people. And I'm not, I'm not demonizing or damning any of that because I love social media, all right? But st- research has shown that even though we can connect so easily, that, that it has been documented that we are lonelier than ever. And working with high school students, I see this so much, right? The, not that digital relationships aren't real because they are, but there's something different about being in the presence of another person and having those face-to-face conversations. And even in my 10 years of being in high school ministry and young adult ministry, I have seen the progression of young adults finding it more and more difficult to have one-on-one conversations with a person for more than you know just a few minutes. And I have that problem too, right? But but one of the things that I know is that even though we have those, convers- th- those connections, we feel more lonely than ever. And that's why I'm grateful that God's spirit is always available. He will never abandon or forsake us or leave us alone. His presence is so near, so real, that Dane Ortland says, th- says, says it this way. He says, it is one thing as a child to be told your father loves you. You believe him. You take him at his word, but it's another thing to be swept up in his embrace, to hear his beating heart within his chest, to instantly know the protective grip of his arms. This is the glorious work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit takes Jesus from an intellectual concept to a relationship. The Spirit promises to always be, be present in a real, tangible way. Jesus shows us in John 14 all the ways that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. And what's amazing is that there's so many other ways that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside us. For instance, Romans uh, chapter 8, 26, the Holy Spirit prays for us when we're too weak to pray. So when you and I are hurting, you know, you're angry, you're depressed, depleted, and you want to pray, but you just simply can't. You don't even know what to pray about. You just know that you're hurting, it says the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf to our Father. The Holy Spirit also convicts us of sin. You may be like, whoa, 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 I thought you were talking about the good things the Holy Spirit did. This is a good thing. At first, it doesn't seem like a good thing because who would want to be convicted of, of what they're doing wrong, right? But, but think about it like this. If you were driving somewhere that you had never been before and you were going the wrong way down a one-way street because you didn't see the sign and there's oncoming traffic, wouldn't you, want to, wouldn't you want someone to tell you, hey, turn around, there's danger ahead, right? We need, to, we need the Holy Spirit to do this for, for us because if not, then we're gonna keep making the same hurtful mistakes over and over again. We don't have a clear picture of, your, of ourselves. And, and you, could be, you could be very social, or you could be a very emotionally aware of yourself, but still, we don't have a clear picture. I thought I was a pretty good guy until I got married. But now I have a wife who is both willing, and I would say obligated to say, to point out some things where maybe I don't see it, right? And uh, she's great at this, and I love her for it. And what, but what do I do? She'd be like, hey, you know, you said this and it was like this. What, here's what we do, right? We excuse, we, uh, we justify it, or we, we deny it, or we blame it, right? I'd be like, well, okay, that's not what I meant. Or I'm like, well, okay, well, I wouldn't have said that if, you know, our son hadn't done this. And it's like, no, 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 no. 
Just allow the Holy Spirit to convict you. It's very easy to come up with excuses. The Holy Spirit wants to shine a light on what we're doing wrong, not to make you feel guilty, not to bring you shame, but so in the end, you can live a life of freedom so that you can do what is right, so that you have a life of freedom and you have a life of peace. If I look at the messes that have been in my life, guess who's been there for all of them? Me, right? I cause most of the problems in my life, and I think that you would admit you probably do too. The Holy Spirit also produces fruit that helps, us, that helps others. Just like a healthy tree produces apples, pears, oranges for us, and we get to pick them and we get to enjoy, they're for, the, they're for us. Uh, a life lived by, this, by the Holy Spirit produces healthy fruit that helps our relationships. I mean, do any of you know the fruit of the Spirit? Maybe, I know, okay, thank you, I saw a couple of hands go up. I know the fruit of the Spirit for one reason, one reason only is that there was a song when I used to lead in uh, Chapel Kids called The Fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right, anybody know that? It's a banger, you gotta listen to it, all right? Uh, but that's the only reason I know the, Holy, the fruit of the Spirit. But, but think about it that way. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How, like, why wouldn't you want those things? Like, that, those are the things I want to come forth in my life. I mean, imagine how your marriage would be or your family would be if your spouse could enjoy love and kindness from you. Or what, what if your kids could sense gentleness and patience from you? What about your coworkers if, they, if you exhibited self-control and joy? Do you think that your workplace here would be better? Do you think your family life would be better? All of our relationships would dramatically change if we allowed the Spirit to produce these results in our lives. So again, these are just a few of the many incredible things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So now we get down to the nitty-gritty. What's this look like on a street-level view of your life? What do we do? So... It's one thing for the Holy Spirit to be an advocate in our life. It's quite another thing for us to allow him to be, a, to be the advocate in our life. Because you might be here today and you might say, I love Jesus and I want to follow him, but I don't really see any of the Spirit's fruit in my life. You know, or you might say, I'm not experiencing the peace. Here's what I want to tell you is that the God of the universe it's not something that you just intellectually believe in and then add them onto our lives and then keep on living as we did before. I think a lot of us live two drawer lives, right? We have our Jesus drawer and then we have our life drawer. You pull out, you open the Jesus drawer Sunday mornings, maybe during your, you know, devotion, your chair time during the week, Wednesday night, Bible study, whatever it is. But then you close that drawer and then you pull out your life drawer, which is work, kids, school, chores, cooking dinner, groceries, and we, we don't understand, like, God is not trying to be separate. Jesus never gave us the option for him being marginally important in our life. Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, meaning that I am everything. So we either decide, like, either Jesus is going to be over everything in our life, or he's going to be nothing. He never gave us the option of putting him in a drawer. Christ said this, it is better for us that the Spirit, or I'm sorry, Francis Chan says this from his book, Forgotten God. Christ said, it is better for us that the Spirit came, and I want to live like I know that is true. I don't want to keep crawling when I have the ability to fly. I don't want to do anything that's going to quiet the Holy Spirit's work in my life. And so if this is you, and it's me more often than I want to admit, 
I want to challenge you with the words that the Apostle Paul wrote as he concluded his letter to the, to the church of Thessalonica. He says this, and do not stifle the Holy Spirit. So that word stifle means suffocate. When we stifle the Holy Spirit, when we, which means when we say no to the Holy Spirit leading in our lives, we are essentially suffocating the Holy Spirit's ability to work in our lives. Here's a few of the ways we do that. We suffocate the Holy Spirit when we commit blatant sin. I mean, whether it's sexual sin or we're bitter, we don't forgive people. It's, it's blatant sin when we say, look, I know this is wrong. I know this is against God's word, but I want to do it and I'm going to do it anyway. We suffocate the Holy Spirit when we gossip and we slander others or when we ignore God's ways in favor of our own ways. I mean, who are we to think that, hey, you know, God, I know you created the universe and everything we experienced just by speaking it into existence, and I know you created me and you're keeping my, my, you're making my heart beat, I'm breathing your air, and you know everything, but I think I've got a better way to handle my finances than you do. Or I've got a better way to work on this relationship with you do. It's silly, right? Or the other one, are you just too busy? I love my phone and I hate my phone because I always get my screen time update every morning when I'm sitting in church. And uh, it's usually around seven hours, and that's not a week, that's a day. That's like a full-time job. I don't want to stand before Jesus and say, man, I really wanted the Holy Spirit to work in my life but I just didn't have the time. And then he pulls out a pie chart of how much time I spent on my phone versus how much time I spent in prayer. So are you too busy? What ways are you stifling the Holy Spirit's work in your life? Do you see the damage that saying no to the Holy Spirit has done in your life? Because if the Spirit of God is convicting you about something, that is a good thing. If you, if you are doing something or feeling something or experiencing something and you sense this tension in your heart, pay attention to that tension that the Holy Spirit is bringing in your life. That is God's Spirit speaking to you. And if you ignore it, here's what happens. That voice, that conviction gets quieter and quieter and quieter. God loves us so much that he gave us free will. He will allow us to do what, he want, what we want. In the book of Psalms, chapter 95, verses 7 and 8, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The more you ignore the Holy Spirit, the easier it is to ignore the Holy Spirit. So how do we keep ourselves from doing this? Well, you've got to be brutally honest with yourself. Do you want to hear the voice? Do you want the Holy Spirit to work in your life? Because the primary way we, we hear the Holy Spirit is through his word. So, I mean, do you give enough time to God's word to be willing to hear from him? And we also hear it through other believers as well, too. I think one of the very best ways to keep ourselves from stifling the Holy Spirit is to embrace and remember what happened on the cross and the resurrection, to understand the goodness and the love of Jesus. Because before Jesus sent our advocate, the Holy Spirit, he took it upon himself to give his life on the cross. And then three days later, he came back to life so that you and I could be forgiven and free. So you and I could be made new by the Holy Spirit and continue to have his presence working in our lives. You see, God looked at you and he looked at me 
And even though every single one person in here, every single person that has ever lived, turned our back on God. And we said, God, you know what? I know you created me, but you can go kick rocks. I want to be the God of my life. And God could have looked at you and looked at me and wiped his hand clean and said, okay, you're on your own. He would have been perfectly just in doing so, but he didn't do that. No, church, he looked at you and he looked at me and his heart was so great for us. He loved us so much that he decided to humble himself that Jesus came here and he took on human form and he lived a perfect life in perfect obedience to the Father. He lived the life that we should have had but could, should, have, should have but couldn't have. And he was obedient to the Father even to death on the cross. And he died on the cross to nail your sin and my sin to that cross so that we wouldn't have to be held guilty for that anymore. And he rose three days later to show that he had victory over death. And you and I can have that same thing because Jesus offers it to us as a gift. And if you've never taken that gift before, my challenge would be to you to take that gift to know the peace that the Holy Spirit offers, to know the freedom that Jesus offers. And we're going to do that right now to remember this in a real and tangible way. We're going to take communion together. And so if you are a follower of Christ, you would consider yourself a Christian, then this is for you. This is a time for you. And if you don't have a communion cup with you, just raise your hand and um, we'll have one brought over to you. Um, But this is a representation of what Jesus did for us. And we're going to take this together. And so what you're going to do is you're going to peel back the top layer. And it's kind of difficult. I may need the Holy Spirit to help me with this. And in here, you're going to find a piece of bread. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul writes in in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, said the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this together. And then if you take the cup and open up the next layer, and this one's a little more difficult. You're going to find the juice, and this juice represents Jesus' blood that was shed for us. Paul goes on, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink it now. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are our advocate. Thank you that you are always with us. Thank you that you convict us because you love us. Holy Spirit, I pray for every single person walking out of here this morning that they would make room for you in their lives, that they would not stifle you, that they would not suffocate your voice, but they would listen to that small, still voice that tells us where to go, where not to go, how to live. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.